Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to the PR Moment podcast. This is the second of a new series on the show called PR Trailblazers. Regular listeners will know that we featured a number of senior PR folks recently as part of a life stories theme. But I wanted to make sure that we had a space on the podcast for up-and-coming talent. And today, on the show, we have David Fraser from Ready10. David spent 12 years at Frank PR before setting up Ready10 in 2016. Ready10 is now in its third year, so now seems a good time to catch up and take stock of the learnings of launching a modern PR firm. I wanted to get David on the show because I thought he'd bring an interesting perspective on a number of things. First of all, he's worked for a big consumer PR firm before he decided to gamble and set up Ready10. As I say, he's only two years in, but I know that for the first 18 months he wrote a diary of things he learned. So I thought it would be good to review some of those entries in hindsight. David set up Ready10 to compete at the intersection of PR and SEO, which is not an unfamiliar positioning statement. But I get the impression that PR is still punching well below its weight in SEO terms, and I wanted to talk to David about the reasons for this. David is also an experienced podcaster. He presents and helps produce the award-winning QPR pod. So possibly purely for selfish reasons, I wanted to talk to him about what makes a decent podcast. David, welcome to the PR Moment podcast. Hi Ben, thank you for having me. It's an interesting tale of how you got your first job in... PR at Frank. Just talk us through how that happened in, what was it, 2004? Uh, So, it was 2004. I didn't follow the, I suppose, quite typical route of coming out of university, not sure what I wanted to do and ended up in PR. I I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do and it it wasn't PR. So, growing up, my my background was in uh, youth work when I was a teenager and growing up and, and, and I did a lot of work with young people and that led to a couple of opportunities in that field when I left university. So I left university 2000, 2001. I got a job in the charity sector um, and I was the guy, I worked for a a sort of environmental charity for two, three years. I was the guy who would come into your school assembly and uh, kind of tell you all about the wonderful things that uh, the particular charity did. Two years in, three years in, the PR job at my charity came up and I quite fancied it. Um, I guess I was probably the equivalent of an account manager, something something like that at that yep. point. The job came up, but I didn't know anything about PR. I kind of knew Andrew Block at Frank. How so, come? What, how did you know Andrew at that point? Um, he grew up in sort of uh, in and around where I was in North London. So you've been, been mates since since childhood. Hadn't all, been all friends. No, no, hadn't been. Ha- wasn't friends with Andrew, but he knew mainly my, my older brother's crowd. Right. Um, okay. So I sort of knew this guy who was in a PR firm. So I asked him for a bit of time, which he was very generous to give me, and I, I went in one day after work. And I asked to pick Andrew's brains about PR because I was preparing for this job interview at the charity. He was really generous with his time. He told me loads. And at the end of the meeting, I said, well, could I come in and, like, make a nuisance of myself? Like, do you do work experience placements? It was around that weird double bank holiday at Easter where you got the Monday and the Friday off and I had a couple of days in lieu. So it sounds like mad now when I say it. But I took two weeks off my job in the charity sector. I went into Frank. I did some work experience for two weeks. And I loved it. You were properly motivated at this point, weren't you? It was good effort. 
I, I, yeah, I think so. I, I was at the point where I wanted something different and I was quite determined, at least going into that work experience placement, to give myself the best chance of getting the PR job in the charity. Sure. Spent two weeks there. At the end of that two weeks, I obviously did okay because Andrew and the other guys said, do you want to... Come, do you want do you want a job you know kind of this is the deal entry level do you want to start um to which i said no so i i said no because i mean it's a long time ago now but i was on um twice what the entry level salary was so it would have required a 50 percent drop and um, where, where were you in your life at this point you had you had mortgage you, were, you, had, you had so kids, i was had, it was 18 months about a year or so before I got married right. and took on a mortgage. So I knew in the six to eight months after that, there was going to be a lot of expenditure. Right. That year was the year we were getting a mortgage. And I kind of went home and I thought about it. And I thought, well, I, I think I'm quite suited to this. Yes, I'll take a 50% pay wow. drop. But it will be okay. And my fiance at the time, now wife, was really supportive and had a plan. I, I remember it really clearly. I had five pounds a week for spending money the whole week. On a Friday, uh, I'm talking like you know wow. one of these war stories. I guess it wasn't quite like that. But I was pretty disciplined. I remember going out with my mates. I remember going out with my, my mate Drew one Saturday night. And I said, I can only have one drink tonight because I've started this job. And I'm on next to nothing. And I've got to keep at it, keep at it. And so basically, tell, started Tell me Drew bought you a drink. He probably didn't. Do you know what, as well? I don't think I ever like kind of went into it right. with him because I, I, I also remember feeling a bit self-conscious yeah, about okay. it. But that's what I did. So right. started at the bottom. I was in a hurry. I was probably a bit of a pain to work with at some point. But it, at some points, many points probably. But it, it worked out because eventually things started moving and I came in as a JE. I was promoted, I think, within six or eight months, moved my way up, and within probably two years, three years, I was on sort of the, the same money that I was at the charity. And and is that where we say the rest is history? Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, so it so, worked out. It was a good move. It was a good move and an unorthodox way in. And I think looking back on it, a lot of that shaped the attitude that I had when I then came to do it in 2016 when I left Frank and set up Ready 10. Okay. We'll come on to that a bit later, shall we? I was I'm always interested when, and lots of people do it. You know, you're not you're not um, alone in that. But you leave a a pretty safe position. Um, you're getting paid decent money, um, and you've got your career mapped out ahead of you. And I always have this this sort of half theory that you're far more likely to set up as an entrepreneur early on in your in your life when you haven't got mortgages to pay, kids to feed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, than you are when you're a little bit more senior, so to speak. Um, so you were sort of—I don't know—I don't know if it's a sort of senior quad at Frank, but there were that there were um, uh, you were part of the senior leadership team at a, a successful, decent-sized, profitable PR firm. What made you want to leave that support network to set up on your own? So I was part of yeah, very strong support network. So probably that if you're talking three or four significant people, you had Graham on a few weeks ago. There was Andrew, of course, who I've mentioned Alex Greer and. And, and and I guess I was I was um, and over the years various other people and I guess I was kind of the next level um, underneath that. What made me want to leave? I knew 
that I always wanted to run my own thing. Right. And I was always open-minded about what that might be, whether it would one day be at Frank or somewhere else or my own thing, I didn't know. When but you it, said you always know, you, like from the start of your career or did, it, did, it, did that get a bit stronger over the last couple of years? Um, that's a good question. I don't think it did get stronger. Okay. I just thought... I just thought one the day will come where right. I want to do it. And I think that's what I was thinking in those early days when I, I left and went to Frank. And then it's it's a very boring story, a very boring businessy story of why I left Frank. It's, you know, I did pretty well at Frank, uh, but the guys, uh, you know, have been, they're kind of Frank legends. They run the company brilliantly. And it got to the point where if I wanted to do my own yeah. thing, I would have to go yeah. and do it. So At the I time, you probably, think, you probably thought, well, Graham's not going anywhere. And look what's happened now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's gone plural. Yeah, that's right. He's gone okay. plural. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, you left there because it was something you always wanted to do. Um, and, and what were the... When you set up Ready 10, you kind of positioned it, I suppose, would you, am I right in saying you positioned it at the intersection of PR and SEO? Yeah. Is that, was that, you'd, you'd agree with that? Yeah, I'd okay. say so. And what, what was the thing behind that? Was that as, as a direct result of, of Google's Panda and Penguin updates, or did it go a bit deeper than that? Um, I don't know if it was a direct result. It was most definitely influenced by Panda, Penguin, Hummingbird, various name A, yeah. another animal that Google have attached to an algorithm. I think, so what I noticed had happened in my last few years, the last few years before I set up Ready10, was that brands were increasingly looking for an SEO solution to their PR needs. Right. That was because of these algorithm changes. So I guess very, you know, very quickly to sort of go into it, if you want to rank for PR Moment Podcast on page one of Google, there was a time a few years ago you could just go to what they called a link farm, spend 50 quid, 100 quid, 200 quid, buy the links, hey presto, you're on page one of Google. Done deal. Done deal. I won't ask you if you did that, Ben. I, I did. <laughs> Partly because the PR Moment Podcast has only been going six months. But true, yeah. true. Um, <laughs> But then these algorithm changes shut that down, yeah. and I think for the better, and so oh, do most people. Don't think anyone would argue. So it, these algorithm changes meant you, the only thing that got promoted on Google was higher quality content, original content. Yeah. Who's the best industry at producing that? In my opinion, it's PR. So you've now got this, you've got this crazy situation, or I think it's a crazy situation, where on one hand you have the SEO industry, and they know their future for generating links and getting their clients up Google is creativity and original content, but they don't really know how to do it. And then you have the PR industry who have 10 ideas before breakfast and create amazing stories and amazing content for their clients, but for some reason are not getting it and not really interested in this SEO thing. So I set up an agency to sort of sit in the middle, deliver PR campaigns that have an SEO result. Okay. Well, I get the theory of that. Um, and I suppose to be fair to, to SEO agencies, SEO professionals, they've kind of always been a bit chameleon in their approach, haven't they? As, as, new S, as the search engines have changed their algorithms, they've had to adapt, which is, um, I think they've probably, well, they've done that already with, with, the, with the, the Panda and Penguin updates to an extent, haven't they? Yeah. Um, but I get the idea that, that content and, and shareable content... Um, is good for an SEO perspective. That that's I don't think anyone's mm-hmm. gonna what I find where I start scratching my head is that it seems to me that much of the technical side of SEO 
you know, I always, uh, when I always am prepared and almost want to be yeah. blown away by by the by the technical theory behind and it. And you're saying it's not that. It's hard, not that difficult. No. no. So so why is it that PR people don't? Well, I would thought arguably by doing a good PR campaign, you're going to get good SEO anyway. And if you, but presumably you're going to tell me there's one, two, three, four things you can do to to, yeah. to make to exaggerate that. Yeah. But why aren't PR people doing that? I mean, it seems an own goal, doesn't I, it? I, don't... I 100% agree with everything you've just said. Okay. I am not one of these people that's going to blind anyone with science about PR SEO. There are, like you say, one, two, three, four things you can do under the hood that help uh, maximise a PR campaign for SEO. You need to know how to do them, and you need to have the right people to know how to do them. Well, come on, we might as well outline those now, and then we go on to part. Well, B, it's, we? it, there's, you know, Google is uh, the guys at the front, head of Google are widely quoted as saying there's two main things that affect ranking. One is content, and the other is links. Everyone's familiar with links, but there's links. And there's links. So yeah. it's about having the right balance between follow links and no follow links. It's about having links on um, high domain authority sites. It's all things wrapped up in Which is easy, an easy thing to say, but di- quite difficult to do because they don't, the, high, the quality domain sites don't always want to give you a link, if you see what I mean. They don't, but that's where I think what PR's always been good at comes in. The key okay. to SEO, in my opinion, is strong media relations. That's what PR can do, and that's what SEO, the SEO industry struggles with. To answer your okay. original question, it's not that difficult, is it? Why the PR, it, why is the PR industry can't, uh, sort of uh, uh, ignoring it or, 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 or reticent to do it? I don't know. When yeah. I set up the agency, I was terrified that uh, people were going to sort of uh, copy us and steal this idea. It's not happening. Uh, I don't know why. To me, this SEO thing is a gift. It's the biggest gift in terms of evaluation and sustainability that our industry has had for many years. But apart from a few of us, most people are not that interested in it. It's, It's like having a Ferrari on the drive that no one wants to take out for a spin, in my opinion. We're, we're we're doing it. We're doing okay at it. it. I think it was the right decision to move in this direction, and that's borne out by the sort of work we're doing and the clients that we've got. Okay, but the I suppose part of what you're saying is that as a if you're at the intersection of PR and SEO, if you like, you're you're, you're doing a lot of quote normal PR work yeah. anyway, but it just happens to have an SEO benefit as and when it, the client needs it to, it, wants it to, etc. Et exactly. We okay. are a consumer PR agency. We're really firm on that and we deal on the or we work on the organic side of SEO. So we don't deal with um primarily, you know, kind of paid SEO activities like PPC and and, and all that area or site audits. We have partners that we can come in and do that. Okay. But we're a PR we are a consumer PR agency that delivers PR campaigns with an added SEO benefit. Right. So you're not trying to position yourselves as a, as potentially an SEO agency Full stop. You're, no. uh, you're 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 at that intersection. That's okay. right. Right. And uh, go on. I, I cut you off. The I know it. This is sort of potentially shrouded in mystery, and there's potentially no facts on it. But what are the? What is your impression? Your interpretation of, of what makes a good? Uh, what, what things do you need to do to have a good SEO benefit? I mean, obviously, there's links. There's good content. Is there anything else that you you, you think you'd want to mention? I've learnt a lot about the SEO industry since I got into this too, coming up for th- three years ago, I suppose, when I first started looking into it. And 
without kind of balling everyone out in the SEO industry, what you learn pretty quickly is the only ones that really know what's going on are a half a dozen people that are sat in Google um, in in America. Everybody else is kind of, I guess, like they are principles, really. They're using best guess. They're using history. They're using uh, what they have seen work in the past. Um, The stuff that we know works is good content and good links that are pointing in the right direction, that are natural, that are obvious, that are not forced, and that... um, that are are there to kind of I guess provide an added benefit for the reader. So PR the PR technique for decades has been, you know, can we get an RRP in there? Can we get a picture credit? Can we get a website credit? Well now it's all that, but it's also making sure that the links are structured in the right way and pointing in the right place. And then you do enough of that repeatedly and in the right ways, and then you that you can see that there'll be a benefit to Google or on Google, and there'll be ways of measuring that through kind of various tools and dashboards. Okay. Um, just moving on, you, when you launched Ready Ten, I was really interested to hear you wrote a diary. Yeah. Um, I, mean, the first, I haven't I, talked about this. I mean, I know no, this is not, well, it, you know, like Desert Island Discs. The last I, time I wrote a diary is yeah. when I went travelling, which must have been about 20 years ago. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, first of all, why did you decide to write a diary? Let's deal with that first. Someone so, told me to. Someone said, right. you're starting this thing, write a diary, because you might find it interesting looking back on it. You might learn some stuff. Right. And so that's really, I thought, you know, it's, probably the, it's definitely the biggest professional adventure yeah. I'd ever had. Write it, record it. If it doesn't. Is that we did? So it, would, it wasn't necessarily a written diary, it was, it was whatever. Yes, it, exactly. It was whatever channel so happened to fit with your day. It was very, yeah, voice notes, right. wrote it on voice notes, or, or recorded it on voice notes and then kind of wrote them up, transcribed them. Got you. Um, really just to sort of chronicle where I was and, and, and what happened, really. And I thought, well, if it goes well, I can look, go back and look at them. And was it therapeutic not, at the time? Was yeah, it, yeah. It, it was because. You've you've started your own thing, and the one thing that everybody says, which I'm sure you recognise, is that it's a, it can get a bit lonely. Mm. You know, especially if you're on your own. I don't have, um, a, you know, lots of people starting duos. Well, I didn't. I started on my own. Yeah. And so you don't often have people to talk to. Of course, I've got friends and family, but it's a bit lonely. So actually, sort of talking things through, saying, processing what I've learned, what the lessons are, was. Very therapeutic, yeah, and, and good. And to also looking, it's one of those that you, I think sometimes we we all underestimate ourselves a bit, then you? So you write something down that's actually quite sensible and in, half intelligent, and then, uh, and if it's just in your head, you forget about it or, or you don't think about it again. But if you wrote it down, you can look back and you go, oh, no, that, that's a fair point. I must do that. And I, I, that, I would imagine that that was quite Absolutely. a useful element to it. Absolutely, and, and this is very boring, but uh, I, when I tagged the uh, voice notes and the title, I would put the date, but also what the kind of main lesson was uh, okay. from the day. So... It would be, whenever it is, May 2018, don't spill your guts out on the PR Moment podcast would be Fine. today's voice note, for example. Okay. So, yeah, it does does help crystallise a lot of thought. And what's it about looking... What's it like, I should say, looking back? What's the... Uh... I was... So, I, I've started to sort of go through them a little bit, um, uh, knowing that we were going to do this. The main thing that I... I, I remember, but I don't remember it being quite as acute as it sounds right. in these diary entries was how scared I was. Uh, I was pretty well, I, scared. I read it. Did, was it written with, with a, an element of humour or did you, did you really mean... No, I right. was genuinely... So I showed you the, yeah. the first 
diary entry, which I haven't shown anyone. I haven't even shown my wife, and I may not ever show anyone. But I was genuinely terrified. I think I started something like, I'm absolutely terrified. It was the day I started the business. Um, And it was scary. Um, And it wasn't, looking back on it, it wasn't scary for all the reasons that I I thought it might be. It wasn't really scary from a financial point of view. Why were you scared at the time? I was scared at the time because... I thought this. What if I can't do it? What What if it doesn't work? I guess you can't the fear do the PR f- bit. You can't do the business bit, or, or just all of it. What if it wasn't going to work? Yeah. So I suppose well, I think yeah. that's natural, isn't it? You know, that's, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, the main fear, I don't know. You, you, I read all these things about managers and footballers and how they motivate players and all the rest of it. And you read a lot that a lot of lot of people are motivated by fear. I've never really thought about it, but perhaps I was. I was. What comes through for me reading it back was the thing that motivated me was the fear of failure. And look, we're not there yet. We're very young. We're we're still going. But it was, I'm young. If it doesn't work, I'll be young and know that it hasn't worked. So what happens then? Well, you'll get a job. I mean, that's the... Funny enough, it's it's very reminiscent to a chat where I had someone um, six months ago and and they were... I was... You know, talking to them about we were having a, a similar chat about the risk of, of launching a business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he just said, "Well, it's not that much of a risk, is it? If, if it doesn't work out, you can get another job." And and but at the time, I wasn't thinking that, and you weren't thinking that because there, you do have to have that that adrenaline that. and that you know that butterflies in your stomach to to go for it a little bit because otherwise you you I don't know a bit like Columbus wrecking all his ships, doesn't that? You that, can't allow it? yourself yeah. to think that because if you're already thinking, well, there's an exit out, then I yes. tend to think it might not be the right thing. But reading really between the lines, it was almost pride for you, wasn't it? Was, it was that. Was it a bit of that? You didn't want to. You didn't want to come back tail between your legs, having not having not had a success with it. Which I, I, I don't think that's Definitely. rare, by the way. But, Definitely, yeah. it wasn't. Will I make money from it or anything like that? Because okay. that, you know, I guess the story that I told or whatever, I can handle very much sort of having to start at the bottom and all the rest of it. It was it was exactly what I said. If it doesn't work, then what? Like, I've, t- I've shown myself yeah. that I can't do this. Right. I always had, I mean, you spoke about it a bit earlier, didn't we? The, it seems to me it's much easier to be a, an entrepreneur and, you're, and take the risk when you're young. Um, your propensity to risk when you've got a mortgage, when you've got kids, et cetera, et cetera, is much, much less, or it very often is anyway. Um, so it, it's in, in many ways that the easiest time to, to set up your own thing is when you're, when you're young and you haven't got those, that, those, that financial responsibility. But as, as you get older and you sort of feel, OK, I'm ready now, actually it can be much more difficult because you've got all – your, your break-even point is so much higher. It is, but you're, you're probably – not in all cases, but – I felt I was cooked and ready okay. at that age because right. of the experience that I had, which uh, I've been thinking about this a lot, the, the experience thing, because when in my 20s, I was that guy who was like, I can do this. I don't need to be experienced. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm old enough. I'm, I'm ready enough. I'm old enough. And then when I kind of get to this stage is when I sort of treasure all that experience and realise, well, actually, if I had done this five years ago, I probably wouldn't have done as good a job as I have now because you just find yourself in these 
situations. I, I you say learned. to people, you well, learn I, stuff. Yeah, you do. I, I said to someone the other day, every day I'm asked a question that I haven't been asked before and I've got to make a decision on it. Yeah. But you think, oh, this sounds familiar. I'm sure I've dealt with yeah. this before somewhere else. And that's what a real Graham comfort. Do? What did Andrew do? You know, what did Graham do? What did Andrew <laughs> yeah. do? What did Alex do? Yeah. What did I do? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's huge comfort. So... Although I suppose, yes, I've got the risk now. I've got two kids, mortgage, all the rest of it. I'm not sure I would have done... I definitely wouldn't have done... As good as, a job. Well, as good a job as I hope I'm doing at the moment. OK. Just finally on your diary, looking back... Well, first of all, what the, the well, two things you, you got right and then three things that you reckon you got wrong from when you launched Ready 10. Why two and three? Well, I always think... The things you got wrong are more interesting than the things you got right. So I thought we'd have one more of them than the, th- than, than the things you got right. I think the SEO thing... So get, getting the stuff right, I think the SEO PR positioning was right. Yep. We've got we've got some decent clients out of it. And, and we have... What it's done is it's opened us up to two potential clients. The traditional PR client who wants you know, normal, quote-unquote, PR services, but also the SEO guy uh, on the client side who knows that their future is this this type of content, PR-related content. And probably, I don't know, it's probably 50-50, 50% of our clients are in the SEO department and 50% of them are PR clients. So, so you're, winning, you're winning business off SEO agencies? We're winning business off SEO agencies in some instances. A couple of instances we are... There's one client who we work with, a very well-known PR agency. They are the PR agency reporting into the PR client, and we are the PR agency reporting into the SEO client. Wow. So, so that positioning... So you don't... Yeah, I mean, as you, you said earlier, you're not trying to take SEO agencies on on, on the pure play SEO, but it's that no. intersection between PR and SEO. You're doing well. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, you, the other thing that you, you felt that you, you did right? I hope we've got it right. For staff, okay. we came into it trying to offer something different for staff. I suppose, ugh, I mean, it's a bit of a yucky word, but millennial workforce and trying to um, design an agency that was right for them. So we introduced a few different things, um, unlimited holiday, uh, which everybody raised their eyebrows out. I was the, the, somebody gave me quite a strong talking to when we set up and said, do not do this. It, it, it won't work. It'll be an utter mess. It's worked pretty well. Uh, it's actually worked Has fine. it worked? I mean, because there's a few schools of thought on that, aren't there, that actually people might end up taking less holiday because they're a bit guilted out by it. But um, So that, that I, I wrote a piece on that. The yeah. only area we need to watch um, is people not taking enough, right. which exactly. there was a little, there was a little, uh, there's been a couple of discussions around that, but... Actually, it was fairly sort of but easy to solve. We do it again. We oh. continue to do it. The the assumption that people will take the mick has not no. manifested itself no. whatsoever. People are really good about it. They take a healthy amount of, of holiday. So that's work and that's worked. We've done a couple of other things like 13 paydays a year rather than 12 to help people over that bump between an early payday in December and a late payday in January. And I think we, we've got a really good bunch of people at the agency, so mm. I hope... It's a nice size, isn't it? It's, what, it's 12, is it? There's 12 that? of like, us. Which is a kind of a... It's a, it's a, it's a good, you know, it's an intimate team at that stage, isn't it? You know, it's, it, you know everyone and they all know you and, and that kind of... It's a good, yeah. good feeling. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Go what on. have I got wrong? Three you want things. to know what I've got wrong? Well, yeah. 
Um, okay. Work too hard, too motivated. Those sort of yeah, 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 yeah. I have too high standards. Yeah. Uh, I tell you one thing. I got wrong. It's a bit of a cop out answer, but I got Brexit wrong because started okay. in April two thousand and sixteen, which was two months before the vote. Right. And I thought at that time, remember what everyone was thinking. There's no way we're yeah. voting out. Yeah. So it's fine. In terms of launching a business, it's absolutely fine. Two months later was the Brexit vote. I was terrified at right. that point. Um, but then you just kind of get on with it. So that, so that was, and it's been okay. Hasn't, so far, so Touch good. Wood. Touching yeah. wood. Um, that was, that's number one. That's my one cop out. Um, <laughs> the other two things that I think I got wrong, I assumed going into it that people would be really easy to bring over to the agency and clients would be really difficult and clients was clients some clients came and we got clients quite early on but it was tricky to persuade a lot of people and the reason why I wanted to talk about this was when you when I heard a lot of people talking about agencies that they'd started and businesses they'd started there is a they tell these amazing romantic stories about how people were desperate to come and work with them and walked over hot coals to come and work with them. doesn't happen it doesn't happen people want proof of concept mm. they don't want to if they've got a nice comfortable job somewhere they don't want to leave it and fair enough yeah. but my perception was that being a frank it's, it's, people will come it's back to it risk happen. though isn't it you know yeah. they, they need to know that you can afford to pay their wage yeah. is, 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 I mean that would be my perception of that it's just, it's it's down to that isn't which, it which I get which yeah. I get and I get now I, I just it just took me by surprise I right. got it wrong it was only after and there's only so much you can do isn't there you must have been quite frustrated. I mean you know you are not in a minority this happens to everyone I think it, you you, you Someone wants yeah. to come and work for you. You want to employ them. You can you can afford to employ them, but in the end, they have to trust you, don't they? And you can only say so loudly. Actually, it's going really well. Yeah, clients are coming in. Yeah. They're paying on time. We're solvent. We're making money. You, yeah. it, it, you can only say it so much. So that was things started to change once we started to pick up a couple of awards and clients and so on. And, and it's good now. Yeah. The third thing, um, the third thing, I thought. It was about pressure, actually, I was going to talk about. So um, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I thought, <laughs> I thought it would get easier. And I think the more that you create, the bigger mm. that you get, the mm. more pressure you put yourself under. And actually, the first few months, although I was under this pressure that I talked about before in myself, people were saying, oh, God, you must be, like, totally stressed all the time trying to get this business off the ground. And I thought... It's all right, actually. I don't, you know, I don't want to speak too loudly, but it's okay. But then you win more clients, you have more people, and that's when you think I've created something here. We've got to keep it going. We've got to keep it going. So I guess I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about it. Don't get me wrong, because I love it. But things get, I think, more intense as you get older and bigger. Yeah, sure. So moving on to podcasting. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I sit over here opposite you, feeling slightly paranoid, and uh, because I, I'm clearly sitting opposite a, a, a far more successful podcaster than I. Uh, definitely not. Um, yours, yours is a better podcast than ours. I, I don't think sure. that's true. But go on, tell me about how the the what, what the QP, QPR pod is and how it came about. So QPR is a very 
bad football team that plays in the championship. <laughs> um, and yeah, I do the uh, uh, founded and, and set up the QPR fans podcast. Yeah, uh, did it started in 2011, so we've done about 200, 250 episodes. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's pretty good. So I'm kind of on your side That's of the table. That's a pure hobby, you know. There's no pure just hobby, a laugh. just a laugh. Probably, arguably, takes up a little bit too much time on a Monday uh, evening, but there you go. You, you must have learned some stuff doing it, though. So I think it's been hugely helpful yeah. for my job because what do we do all day? We pitch to clients, pitch to journalists, make presentations, talk to people. Yeah. It's massively helped me from that point of view. And also, I get to learn about this. You know, I know a little bit now about iTunes and SoundCloud and all that stuff and production, which is really, really helpful for us. So... We are. You actually have to work hard at your podcast and prepare and do stuff like that. We just come in, speak into a microphone, and talk about how we got on on Saturday. But it's good fun. I, I don't know if you. Does it look like I prepare? I'm not yeah, sure it does. But anyway, more, more than I usually okay. do for the Fine. QPR one. Um, the question that I, I suspect everyone asks you. So I felt slightly cheesy asking you this, but you. you well, I, I don't know if listeners know, but you, you worked closely with Alan Sugar for what ten years or so, possibly a bit longer. Um, yeah. I might as well ask the question everyone asks. What's he really like? Yeah, so Andrew and I, so Andrew Block and I worked on um, Lord Sugar's business, his account for for a decade. Yeah, everybody would ask that question: What is he like? Um, And and the I did perfect an answer in the end (laughs) by the end of the decade. Um, Okay, it's in a couple of parts. The first bit is he's exactly like what you see. None of that is fake. But the interesting thing about him is when you meet a famous person and someone tells you there's another side to them, usually that side is a bad side. You know, they bite off their assistant's head or whatever, or they're rude to people. Actually, the bit you don't see with him is the good side um, because I guess that's his character. So he's a very loyal guy. He looks after his people. He, you know, he has his abrasive way, I guess, but very straightforward, takes advice, listens to advice, and personally quite, you know, generous, Warm. although don't ever accuse him of being so. But, you know, when my kids were born, he sent presents and things like that. Like, you know, really nice sort of touches that not everybody sees. Sure. Uh, and what, was it a personal PR account for, with, with Sir Alan? How, what sort of work was it? Yeah, so it was... It was completely his uh, personal PR. How, right. how it worked was, so Frank worked on... The, so that's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, it was really interesting. Yeah, it's not, you're not trying to do Amstrad or whatever it's called these days. It's, it's actually him. Well, that's how is, it started. So yeah. Frank worked on Amstrad for a number of years with, with Simon Sugar, who, who was also my client all that time. And then in 2005, he did this show, The yeah. Apprentice, right? And up until then, he was a well-known businessman, but not this kind of um, crossover figure. And then all of a sudden, he needed some support. Now, the thing that's not that, that surprises everyone is he doesn't really uh, have a PA. He's got someone that's kind of helps really? him, but actually he looks after his own stuff. It's a oh. great lesson for anyone. He looks after his own diary. He answers his own emails. If you want to know what he's doing next Tuesday at 2 o'clock, ask him. And so he needs a lot of help because all of a sudden he's this BBC star. Yeah. And so almost overnight we handled this this this... Uh, amazing PR account for him and and it's the only client ever really where I've had where you don't have to make a phone call because you haven't got time because the phone's ringing so often. Um, You you just sit at your desk and the phone will ring every morning. But, you know, 
what's going on day to day is unpredictable and you, you presume you wake up you don't necessarily know what he's going to tweet or, or whatever else so it, yeah it's quite it was a good laugh it was it? the yeah. the best learning the best client for me ever because I learned so much from him on how to handle the media the business side employees everything I mean he knows more about PR than yeah. you and I know put together yeah. he, he, he's written the book on everything so it's just an unbelievable ride challenging frenetic but very fond times yeah okay and finally what's next for, for David Fraser then um what is next is going back to work after this and getting right. on with it. Um, I, I've thought a lot about kind of goals recently, and I think we've talked a lot about what we want to achieve. And of course, we've got one year plans and three year plans and all the rest of it. But actually, just try and do start every day from zero, as we say, do a good job for clients, build the agency, look after the people, and just keep going. It's very early days. Had a good start, but just getting on with it, really. David, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.